Good morning. It is about time for us to begin. Very happy for everyone's presence here this morning, especially our visitors. If you are visiting with us for the first time or if you are a repeat visitor and haven't filled out one of the cards in front of you, uh, please uh, do so and give that to one of the people around you or to someone out in the foyer before you leave. We are getting ready to worship God, and uh, we know that everything that we do within the next hour um, should be focused on him, um, that we should put aside earthly thoughts, things that are happening in our life as much as we can, and focus on him. As we worship in just a few minutes, um, John Kelly will be leading our songs. Chris will deliver the message uh, later. Reading and prayer uh, will be given by Joe Galloway, and Jerry Fry uh, has the Lord's table today. Before we worship, uh, I want to read a couple of verses in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and then we'll go to our Father in prayer. Uh, we know that when we go to him in prayer, we are coming before him, uh, his throne of grace. We have that access because in the new law, we were given that access by the, by the blood of Christ. Under the old law, it was different. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 14 to 16, we have this comparison and this, this final statement. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we gather before your throne at this time in worship, that each of us will do his or her part to focus on you and your love for us and what all you have done for us, not only in the creation of the world and giving us life and and all that we have in this physical realm, but more so in the spiritual realm, Father. The fact that you love us, the fact that you are willing to forgive us of our sins against you, the fact that you were willing to send your son to this earth to live as we do, yet without sins himself, giving himself on the cross for our sins so that we might have forgiveness of those sins and access to you as we now practice in prayer and in worship. We pray, Father, that as we do so, that um, you will be glorified, that, that your name will be lifted, and that we, when we leave later on, we can do the same out in public and with those with whom we associate on a regular basis, that we will also always glorify you in our words and in our actions as children of yours. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Uh. 
Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 781, Wonderful Story of Love. 781. Seven hundred eighty-one in your songbook. We'll go ahead and get started here. <clears throat> you may come up. There we go. Wonderful story of love. Tell it to me again. Wonderful story of love. When the Next hymn this morning, number 782, Worthy Art Thou, 782. <clears throat> After this hymn, our scripture reading will be by Joe Galloway, scripture reading and prayer. <clears throat> Worthy are praises, Christ our Redeemer, worthy our glory, Father and Worthy of all thy souls and adoration, worthy art thou, worthy art thou, worthy of riches, blessings and honor, worthy of wisdom, glory and power, worthy of earth and heaven's thanksgiving, worthy of Lift up the voice in praise and devotion, 
Let's pray, please. Dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, as we surround your throne this morning, giving you praise, Father, for how great you are and how good you have been to us. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Father, we thank you for the greatest blessing of all, the gift of your Son, his word, his church, his redeeming power. Father, we have many on our hearts that are in need of strength and health, and we ask your blessings upon them and upon their families. Help us, Father, to help them in any way that we can. We have many sick, Father, that need healing. We pray for Jennifer Baker, pray for Charlie Bozo, for Darren Baker, for Terry Haynes, Jim Haney, David Turvathan, Roger Pryor, Carolyn Dwivity, Sarah Smithers, Father, all those that are fighting cancer, all those that are fighting depression, those that are suffering from the loss of loved ones. We pray, Father, for all of those. Strengthen them and help us to uphold them. Help us to share love with them that they might know that we care and that you are the best thing that ever happened to any of us. Father, we pray for the elders of the church here, for the leaders that make the decisions that 
help to let the church promote the goodwill of you in the neighborhood and throughout the world. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We pray that as we surround your table, we would do those things that would help us draw closer to you. We pray for Chris as he presents the lesson, Father, that he would say something that touches our hearts and helps us to draw closer to you and to respond in positive ways to your gospel. Go with us through this service, Father, and thank you again for all that you've done for us. In your son's name we pray, amen. The reading this morning is coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Next time this morning, number 784, why, why did my Savior come to earth? Have this before we have the Lord's Supper service. <clears throat> Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble God? Why did He choose the holy earth? Because He loved me so.
Good morning. The Bible has many examples where God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I'm going to share with you momentarily uh, what I believe is the ultimate example of that. But before I do, I would like to share a verse with you that to encourage us, not put anyone down, but we're ordinary people. <laughs> so uh, for us to realize that that applies to us, not only people in the, in the first century. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect unto him. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put, he, he never put his foot inside a big city. He never did one of the things that we usually accompany, that we accompany greatness with in the world. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the Central, still the central figure of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I, don't, I think it's outside the bounds for me to say that of all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned, you put all them together and they have not affected the life of man upon this earth as that one solitary life, our Christ Jesus. So as we think about that, would you please bow with me as I offer thanks for the bread. Kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this time of, that we can assemble and surround your table, Father. And Father, we thank you for making a way out of our sins, Father. We knew that we were dead in our trespasses and we acknowledge that to you. And we thank you for sending your son for the, the perfect sacrifice to die for our sins, Father. For we could not accomplish that ourselves. And Father, now as we partake of the bread, which is representative of his body, I ask that you bless it to us. As to Jesus that I pray. Amen. Bow with me again, please. Continuation of this memorial feast, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup, this fruit of the vine, which represents our Savior's blood. Father, we know that it wasn't spilled, that it was a divine premise and part of your plan, Father. And we thank you so much for its atoning sacrifice and that we can partake of it, Father. And I ask that you bless it to us. And it's through Jesus that I pray. Amen.
This concludes our communion service. And now another aspect of our giving this morning on the first day of the week, we have the opportunity to, we get to give back that which is already God's. What a blessing that is, that we get to do that. Would you bow with me, please? Kind and gracious Father, we thank you that we do get to give back. Father, you have blessed us beyond measure. And Father, we could never repay back. We're simply giving you back what is yours, Father. And we thank you for putting us in charge of it, and may we be good stewards of it, Father. And now I ask that you bless the offering, and thank you again for your Son, Christ Jesus. And it's through him that I pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 783. Will you not tell it today? 783. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. If the name of the Savior is precious to you, if his parents keep constantly tender and true, if the heart of his presence has frightened your way, oh, will you Your faith in the Savior has brought its reward. If a strength you have found in the strength of your Lord, if the hope of a rest in his palace is clean, oh, then be not proud with a sword and grief. Oh, will we not tell it The souls of a crowd who are living in sin. If the pastor has told you to think and come in, if the sweet invitation they never have heard, oh, will you not tell him the cheering word? Oh, oh, will you not tell it today? Will you not tell it Invitation hymn this morning, number 788, Wonderful Words of Life, 788, Brother Chris. Good morning. What do, uh, what do Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, and Joseph and his brothers all have in common? What do Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers all have in common? So Cain killed Abel. Because Abel's 
more righteous sacrifice indicted Cain's lesser righteous sacrifice, right? Jacob counted his relationship with his brother Esau as so little that he deceived him into giving away his birthright. And Esau counted their relationship so insignificant that he was willing to kill his brother. And so Jacob had to run essentially for his life and even live in another country for 14 years. By the time he comes back, the, the relationship is different. Joseph uh, is sold into slavery by his own brothers. They've changed his life. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks in our Bible class. and Just the, the hatred and the jealousy that is in all three of those stories stands out to us, doesn't it? Have you ever made the connection there? These three sets of brothers, at least one of each one of the sets, hated the other one. Hated them enough to kill them. Those stories stand out in our minds because that's not the way family acts, is it? That's not the way you act when you love someone, is it? And so today we're talking about brotherly love. You can, you can flip over to Hebrews 13. We're going to get there eventually, but I want to take you to a couple of other passages first. Turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 35 is where we're going to start off this morning. John chapter 13, verse 35. Brotherly love, this, this idea in, uh, in the Bible of brotherly love is found throughout Scripture. Uh, the word is not, though. The word Philadelphia, the word that's translated for us as brotherly love, is only found five times in all the New Testament. But the sentiment is there throughout the whole Bible. And so we're going to look at a couple of these verses today as we talk about what it means to love your brethren, to love love your brothers. John chapter 13, verse 35. Listen to what Jesus says. Very simply, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So right away, our ears should perk up, right? He says, you're not going to have a t-shirt. I am the way, right? You're not going to have a sign on you that says, I am Jesus' disciple. You're not going to have to say even that you're Jesus' disciple. One, There's going to be one thing that is clear to everyone else. If you do this thing that you are Jesus' disciple, and if you do not do it, it's clear to everyone that you're not Jesus' disciple. That one thing, finish the rest of the sentence. John 13, verse 35. If you have love for one another, Everyone will know that you're Jesus' disciple. But if that's something that you've fallen down on, if that's not something you've focused on, if that's something that you've counted as insignificant or not as significant as other things, this idea of love, if that's one of the things that you've allowed to float away from you, to not hold tightly, people are going to know that as well, aren't they? They're going to know that you're not a disciple because you don't. Love like this. Over in Mark chapter 12, we find another verse that talks about our love of the brothers. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. You're familiar with this setting, of course. 
man comes up to Jesus and he has a question for him, a great question, right? He wants to know which commandment is the greatest one of all. There are some, somewhere around 630 some odd commandments that the Old Testament Jewish people had to live by. Can you imagine? 630 checkoffs, right? 630 check marks beside your name every single day of your life. They had to follow those. And so it was pretty common among the Jewish people to say, well, what are, consolidate that list for me a little bit, right? Make, make, make some of these uh, fall into the same category. And so th- he's asking a legitimate question. In verse 29, Mark chapter 12, 29, Jesus answered the most important commandment, right? The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You love God with everything you got. That's what Jesus said. If you want to consolidate the law down into one commandment, you love God with everything you got. But that's not enough. The law encompasses more than just love of God. He says that's where we start. You love with God. You love God with everything you have. It encompasses you. It's your focus. It's your priority. It's everything you think about. Everything else you think about is way on down the line. It's not nowhere near the percentage that you spend on loving Him. He says, if you want to consolidate the law into one thing, love God with everything you've got, but <coughs> the law says more than that. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he has this little caveat. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if you want to talk about what God wants from you, you love him with everything you got, right? And then you love your neighbor like you love yourself. How many of us love ourselves? Yep. Love myself a lot. You know how many meals I missed this week? Not a one. (laughs) You know how many times I intentionally ran out in front of a car? Not a single time. You know how many times I intentionally hurt myself? Not a single time. Why? Because we take care of ourselves, don't we? We will sacrifice to make sure that we are okay. That we get what we want, right? Good or bad, we sacrifice to make sure that we get what we want. He says, you need to treat your neighbor like you treat yourself. Flip over to 1 John, in the very back of uh, your Bibles. John wrote five letters, the gospel, and then three epistles, and then Revelation. Uh, this is the first first epistle. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. He says, You want to know what I've always been telling you? What Jesus has always been telling you? And in fact, really what Moses and, and God has been telling you from the very beginning. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Remember Cain, right? We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. John's pointing out for us here this fact that we alluded to earlier. Abel's sacrifice indicted Cain's. Cain looked over at Abel's sacrifice and said, well, he gave all... Apparently he gave his best. Scripture doesn't go all that far into exactly what they offered, but it it appears that we can read into uh, what's going on here that 
Abel gave his best and Cain kind of gave something that was left over. Not the best. Something that he could do without. And God says, that's not a sacrifice. Sacrifices are something that, that cost us something, right? It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. And so Cain's sacrifice didn't cost him anything. Abel's did. And when Cain looked at Abel's sacrifice, he was indicted because of, because of this. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Just like Cain hated Abel because Abel was righteous and Cain wasn't, he says the world's going to hate you too. That's, that's, that's what they do. They, they hate you because your righteousness indicts them. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Did you catch that? This idea of love whether you love the brothers or not, is indicative of you moving stations. You've gone from death, right, in your sins, condemned, being held accountable for those things, to being saved. It's not because you love that saves you, right? We all know people that love a great deal that are not saved, that haven't done God's, way, God's things, God's ways, right? We all understand those people. Uh, we appreciate them, but they're, they're lost, right? If, if you haven't been baptized into Christ for the purpose of the forgiveness of your sins, lost. And so what he's saying here is the appreciation that you have because you are saved the only logical, normal thing that should come out of that appreciation and that gratitude toward God is love of each other. He says, it's obvious that you've moved out of death into life because of the way that you love each other, right? It's obvious. Remember, Jesus said that earlier. It's obvious that you love uh, that you've gone over from life, from death into life because of the way that you love each other. Turn over to First John chapter four, just uh, one chapter over, verse twenty. First John chapter four, verse twenty. John's going to be even more clear here. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. For a lot of people say, well, I love God, but I hate the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. Well, then you're a liar. Right? That's what John says. That's what the Holy Spirit says. You can't love God and hate your brother. It's not how it functions. It's not how it works. Right? Love of brethren is a contingency. Uh, it, it's, con- it's necessary. It's essential. Um, he says here in, in verse 20, you can't love your brother who you can see, who you can touch, who you can interact with. You can't hate him and love God who you haven't seen. So love is a necessary component 
of our lives. It's something that we have to do. We have to be about this. We have to be growing in this aspect uh, of love. Turn back over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I told you I was going to shift gears a little bit and teach through Hebrews 13 a little more topically. I think that's how the Hebrew writer would have us to, uh, to look at this text. He has finished with his theological uh, ramifications. He, he's, he's moved on from his theological treaties. He, he's put together a logical argument from Scripture, from the Old Testament, and he's trying to get you to see who Jesus is. Well, Jesus is your high priest, and he is impressive, and he's, he's amazing. And without him, all life is senseless and useless. But with him, it's glorious, and I can have reconciliation and peace with the Father. And so that's his, that's his logical argument. That's what he wants you to see here. And he's, as he's moving down the line, he says, well, there are some logical ramifications of your new understanding about who Jesus is. You find some of those in Hebrews chapter 13. One of those things, one of the logical ramifications, one of the things that just makes sense. When you understand what Jesus has done for you and who Jesus is, what do you do? You love the brothers. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality, hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let's stop right there. We'll have to deal with, with marriage next week. But I think these two thoughts of hospitality and, and those in prison are connected. Uh, so if you are... In the first century, and someone is in your city, they're looking for a place to stay the night. They may find a, an inn of some sort. Generally, those are very, very expensive, and they are also houses of ill repute. Some dark things happen in uh, in hotels and inns in the first century. And so, if you were to go there, it would not be cost prohibitive. Um, but it would also lure you into some things in life that you should not be a part of uh, as a Christian or as not a Christian. And so to these, to these Hebrew Christians, he says, well, one of the logical things that you do to love is to invite people over to your house, to, to keep this burden, this financial burden, as well as this spiritual burden off of their backs it's almost like you're leading them into sin if you allow them to go to, to this end. And so he says, take, take that burden off uh, of their backs and show hospitality to strangers. He includes this little bit here with Abraham. Abraham entertained strangers and unwittingly they were angels. And so he was blessed because of this. And he says, you, you don't know what's possible, what you may, how you may benefit from, from this hospitality. In verse 3, he talks about visiting those people in prison. <clears throat> some of the Hebrew Christians are going to go to prison for their faith, and that's coming up very quickly. It's almost like they can see it coming down the line. Um, they are on the outs. They're on the outskirts of their culture. We've talked about a lot throughout this series how they are, uh, they, they've been pushed away. All their safety nets are gone. All the people that they once relied on, those things are, are, are gone now. And so they're forced, forced to rely only on 
Christ. And he reminds them early on in the book of Hebrews about the wilderness generation who had an opportunity to trust in God, but what did they do? They shunned that opportunity. They wasted that opportunity. And it seems like the Hebrew writer says here, you have an opportunity yourselves. Don't waste it. Don't shun it. You have no more safety net. You have no one else to rely on. You turned to, you turned to God. Don't turn away from Him now. Lean into Him. Get closer to Him. Get closer to the church. And here he says, there are some folks among your number in your congregation that are in prison. You should visit them. You should be with them as if you yourself were in prison. Now, to us that sounds, oh, okay, you know, sounds like a good thing to do. But I don't really understand why it's coming up here. And how is that brotherly love? And how are these thoughts connected? Well, first century prisons were not like they are today. If you did not have someone visiting you in the first century prison, you probably didn't get to eat that day. If they didn't bring you food, you weren't going to get to eat. They were just a holding space uh, where you waited before your trial or before your execution. So they don't really care about your welfare. The prison system in the first century doesn't really care so much about whether you live or die or not. You're just waiting there, and if you die, well, I guess you were guilty anyhow. So he says to these Hebrew Christians, some of you and some of your, your brother, brothers are in prison for their faith. You need to identify with them. You need to be with them. Now, that can be dangerous in and of itself. It has its own risks being a part of identifying with this person in prison because if the people who put them in prison see you visiting them, what might they think? You're part of them, huh? And now what? You've got someone watching you, or maybe they just automatically throw you in prison along with this person. And so there is a risk here. The Hebrew writer says, you take that risk. Well, why? Because that's what brotherly love does. Because that's what brotherly love does. It sacrifices, right? Brotherly love sacrifices. It's one of the things that, that maybe we've, we've kind of put on the back burner. Um, especially in 21st century American Christianity, we don't focus on the sacrifice very much, do we? We don't like that word, sacrifice. It's almost like a dirty word for us because we don't like sacrificing. Putting ourselves second or last, very hard, right? Putting other people first, even if they're... Uh, cantankerous or not um, our best friends hard right let me take you back to a story I heard in a book read in a book not too long ago about this guy named Joseph uh, Joseph has uh, these these friends they're more like family really uh, but they're suffering it's terribly suffering and his heart is pouring out for them they're they're just, there's, nobody can help them. They're struggling. And so what does Joseph do? Well, he empties out his bank account and he helps these, these people. Um, he actually gives it to the church and the churches are the ones who, who hand that, 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 that financial aid out to these people. You probably recognize the story, right? It's from Acts chapter 5. You probably know him as Barnabas. 
what did he do? He sacrificed himself so that his brothers could flourish. Right? Brotherly love. That's what it does. It sacrifices itself so that others can flourish. In Hebrews chapter 13, you find this duality toward brotherly love, though. It's not just love of the church, right? You find that with the guys that are in prison. You go visit them despite what it's going to cost you. Potentially, you go visit them because that's, that's how brotherly love acts. Uh, in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, the passage that, uh, that Joe read for you this morning, he says, you were taught of God to love each other. You don't, you don't need, Paul would say, me to teach you about that because you were taught by God that. What does that mean? What is, if you turn back over and look at 1 Thessalonians 4, just, just grab a hold of this verse and kind of struggle with it this week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Let me read it again for you. He says, now concerning brotherly love, that's the word we're talking about. Remember I said it's only mentioned five times in all of Scripture. Here it is, Philadelphia. This is the word that he uses in, first, in Hebrews chapter 13. It's the word we're talking about today. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What in the world does that mean? How were you taught by God to love each other? I think what Paul's saying there is it's an instinctive thing. It's the thing that makes sense. When you learn how much God has forgiven you, what do you do? You forgive others. When you learn how much God has loved you, what do you do? You love his people. You sacrifice for his people. You put yourself second so that the person next to you in the pew can flourish, right? In Philippians 2, verse 3, uh, Paul says you need to count other people as more significant than yourselves. I need to count you as more significant than me. You're more important than me. Right? That, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about today. And this idea of brotherly love. How does it function? Well, you're more important than I am. And so I put your needs ahead of my own. Now, what does that mean for me? That means I sacrifice. That means I cut part of me so that you can flourish. You ever seen the illustration of a dad and his son? The dad's kind of bent over and they're, they're both made out of puzzle pieces. And there's a big hole in the, in the dad's chest, and he's taking out that puzzle piece and he's putting it in his son so that his son can be built up. That's the image that we find in Scripture as we think about brotherly love. We sacrifice ourselves so that each other can flourish, so that each other can thrive. Brotherly love, it means sacrifice. And so if you're not sacrificing, you're not loving right, right? Remember what John 3.16 says? God's kind of the, the epitome of this idea of love. He sent Jesus, God himself, to die for us. Was it, was it in his best interest to do that? No. He confined himself to human flesh. Not in his best interest. 
Well, why did he do it? Because it was in our best interest. And so we take an example from him and say, I'm not going to do things that are in my best interest. I'm going to do things that are in your best interest. That's what it means to love. That's what it means to sacrifice. That's what it means to count each other as more significant than myself. So that's, that's what he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 13 when he talks about visiting the people in prison. There are some brothers there that are struggling in their faith and they've been put into prison because of their faith and this has no doubt invited um, trouble to them. Has invited a little bit of a struggle for their faith. He says, you go shore that up. And the Christian raises his hand and says, what if, what if the Romans see me and they identify me with that person and I get in trouble? The Hebrew writer and God would say, yeah, you go do that anyhow. You shore them up. You sacrifice yourself so that they can thrive. Because we're all in it together, right? Picture a storm and you're all in a boat. And we're all rowing to get clear of the storm. What happens if one person stops rowing? Well, they're still in the boat. They're still weighing the boat down, right? But they're not helping, right? We went whitewater rafting several years ago. I love whitewater rafting, by the way. Um, we went several years ago on my birthday. Kelly took us uh, to the Akoi in East Tennessee. It's where they did the Olympics several years ago, um, 30, 40. Uh, it's been a long time ago. But they have class uh, three and four rapids uh, there, and even class five rapids in the upper part of the Akoi, which I've never done and don't really have any interest in doing. But class three and four I really enjoy. And so we're going through this rapid, and there are a couple of new people with us, and the guy in the back, the guide, is saying, row, row, row. And these people, they can't get their paddles to row. They, they, I guess out of fear or whatever has happened, they, they can't get the paddle in their hands to be able to push. And so you know what happens? We get stuck in the rapid. And we all pay the price for it. We're all rowing together. We're all helping each other. And so we all sacrifice for each other. That's what it means to, for brotherly love. I think that's what he's talking about here in Hebrews 13 when he talks about the people in prison. Interestingly enough, he doesn't just talk about the people in prison, though, does he? He also talks about hospitality to strangers. I don't think he's talking about Christians there. I think he's talking about strangers, people you don't know, people who are outside of the church. And so we show love toward them, too, don't we? Because God has shown great love toward us, right? Jesus told a story about a man who went down from Jerusalem on his way to Jericho. It's a notoriously dangerous road. And this man falls among robbers, and they beat him nearly to death. They steal everything he's got, including his clothes, and they leave him lying on the side of the road to die. The priest comes by. You'd think he'd be the one to help him, right? He doesn't. Levite comes by. Surely this good man, this righteous man, will help him. He teaches good, that you need to do good things. You need to... You're the hands and feet of God, and Yahweh expects these kinds of things from you. Surely the Levite will help him, since the priest didn't, the Levite doesn't help him either. And so finally, this, this wretched man, 
a man that the Jew would not have spit on had he been on fire. This man, a Samaritan, walks by and he kneels down and he picks up the man, risking himself, of course, because the robbers could still be anywhere in the area and they could fall upon him just like they fell upon this man. And so he picks up the man and he puts him on his own donkey. And so what, what's the man now riding? He's not riding anything, is he? He's having to walk. Now the Samaritan's sacrificing himself. And if he takes the man over to an inn and he pays the man's lodging there. Remember, they're expensive. Inns are expensive. And so he pays the man's lodging there. <coughs> Excuse me. And he even pays to have the man's wounds bandaged. And he says, if he, any other expense is incurred, let me know and I'll pay it when I come back. Jesus, this is not a real story, although this could have legitimately happened a multiplicity of times on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus pictures this story. So why does he include so much sacrifice in this story on the Good Samaritan's part? Because sacrifice is necessary for love. If you're not sacrificing, you're not loving, not biblically. That's what it means to love. We sacrifice for each other, so each other can thrive. But we also sacrifice so that outsiders, ones who don't know God, can thrive. So that they can come to know Him. That's what we're about. And you stop and think about it, and it starts making an awful lot of sense, doesn't it? Because we don't pick and choose who we love, do we? We don't pick and choose who we love like this. This sacrificial Brotherly love, we, we don't pick and choose because it's not our choice. God's already made the choice for you. You love everybody. You sacrifice for everybody. Well, duh, we sacrifice for people in the church, right? Because they're our friends. They're like us, right? We, we, we struggle together. We excel together. Everything we do, we do together. And what's good for you is good for me. And so if you're struggling, I want to help you. And so you don't struggle anymore. So when I'm struggling, you can lift me up, right? We get all that. But what about enemies? What about people who don't like me, who aren't like me? What, what do I do about them? Well, Jesus would say, I pray for them. And if they hurt me, what? I turn the other cheek. I love them. Even in Matthew 5, he would say, go the second mile with them. Because there's, there's people in Matthew chapter 5 specifically the Romans, that are taking away their rights, God's people's rights. The Romans are taking away their rights. So the Roman government had this law that if a Roman soldier came along your field as you're planting your beans or peas or whatever you're planting, as you're planting, a Roman soldier comes along. He says, hey, you're going to come along with me and you're going to carry my pack. You have to say okay. If you don't say okay, the Roman soldier can kill you right there. So you say okay. Jesus would say, when that happens to you, Christian, when this outsider takes away your rights, what do you do? You say, I'll go with you another mile. I want to help you more. You sacrifice for outsiders. We sacrifice for each other because that's who we are. Incidentally, 
if it's not who you are. First John chapter 3, verse 14. You haven't passed out of death yet. Incidentally, if you don't love, what did Jesus say the greatest command was? You love God with everything you got, and you love your neighbor like you love yourself. If you're not doing those things, if you're not loving like that, you're not in his kingdom. Today, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's the very first step. That's how you get into his kingdom. It's how you become a part of his family. It's how you inherit the blessings. It's how your sins are washed away. That's what he says in the Bible. He wants to wash your sins away. In fact, he's been slow in returning to earth to reap the harvest because he's waiting on you to come to him. He's begging with you to come to him. And so maybe today's your day. Maybe today's the day where you stand up and say, I'm ready to be in God's family. I'm ready to make the sacrifices that are necessary to be a part of his family. And I want salvation. I hope that's your intention today. Maybe you've already made that choice. Maybe you've already been, been baptized into Christ and you're just looking for the prayers of this congregation to lead a life that's righteous and holy and loving. If you have any need tonight, this morning, I'm already on tonight. If you have any need, we want to help you in any way we can. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Sing them over
Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right t- today. Uh, Chris, great lesson. Appreciate you, brother. Um, before I forget, um, if you're going to Scotland, because I don't have this written down, so I'm going to say it now. Um, if you're going to Scotland, there's a Scotland meeting uh, at 1230 in the big room in the fellowship hall. All right. Uh, today's Church Eat Church. Um, our potluck is today. Looking forward to that. I can smell the food now. My stomach's telling me that I'm hungry. Uh, so uh, everybody's welcome to stay to that, and I hope I do encourage everybody to uh, stick around uh, for the potluck dinner. There will be no 6 o'clock service. We'll have service at 1 o'clock, um, so hoping that everybody stays for that. Um, also, Sunday, uh, next Sunday, May 1st, uh, if you've taught Bible class, uh, if you are a teacher, uh, we are doing a teacher appreciation dinner for you. Uh, after service this Sunday morning. Um, I'm not cooking it, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, it will be catered through Vizzoli's. So um, so hopefully you can eat all the breadsticks you, you want then. Um, but uh, May 1st, after service, is teacher appreciation dinner, so I do encourage you to stay for that. Also, Wednesday, May 4th, Stepping Stones Dinner, and John Galloway will be here from Scotland to discuss his mission work. So I do encourage everybody to put that in their calendars, May 4th, uh, Stepping Stones Dinner, and, and John Galloway will be here to speak about his mission work. Uh, Saturday, May 7th, is Hope and Austin's Bridal Shower at noon. I do encourage everybody to, uh, to come to that, all ladies. Um, so please, uh, what an opportunity for us to encourage this young couple. Um, so that's Saturday, May 7th. Uh, Sunday, May 8th, uh, will be our teen devotional at the Knapp's house. Uh, thank you for them for letting us host uh, Team Devotional at their house. And if you're wanting to, it doesn't matter if you have a teenager or a child that's in middle school, but if you're wanting to host a devotional at your house, please see me, and we would love to um, come over to your house and and have a devotional. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of, it makes me feel younger every time I get around these, uh, these young guys. That's the reason why I'm trying to do backflips and... Uh, and hurting myself, but um, but uh, you know, if you want to host a one at your house, please see me. Um, also, May thirteenth and fourteenth, Friday and Saturday, there will be a men's retreat at Fort Hill. Uh, it's uh, fifty dollars, but this is for all ages of men. So, uh, if you're wanting to go to that, um, please sign up on Fort Hill's website. Also, Vacation Bible School is right around the corner. It's uh, sneaking up on us very quickly, June 5th through the 9th uh, is, um, is VBS. It is a luau theme, uh, and it's about how our attitude can, um, how we can gain courage from our attitudes. And um, we're desperately needing volunteers. We need teachers. We need people to help in the kitchen for snacks. We need skips people. But if you can help out with Vacation Bible School, there's a sign-up sheet out in the four-year board. Please sign up before you leave this eve, uh, this morning. Also, Fort Hill is coming up as well, July 3rd through the 9th. Uh, if you sign up by May 15th, you get the discount. So please sign up as soon as possible for that. And that's coming right around the corner. Um, also, if you have a child that's three to four years old and you're looking for a Wonderful, the best preschool you could ever go to. Is that right, Connie? Sure. 
Um, but it's, it is a great preschool. I love every single morning hearing those kids in the afternoon and seeing them play in the playground. But it's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of joy they do. The teachers there are great, and they do a great job. But if, uh, if you have a uh, child that's wanting to go to the preschool, please see Connie. Um, also, we're still needing volunteers for people to help cut grass. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Please uh, put your name down for that. I have a thank you card. Um, it says, Dear Church Family, thank you so much for all the prayers, cards, gifts, and food that was sent over the past several weeks. There is something special about being fed by your church that is about more than the food. We appreciate all of you, all of you so much. Love Jennifer, Casey, Liam, Annabelle, and Kate. This will be posted out in the foyer board um, for everybody to see. Updates from our prayer list. Uh, Sandy Swan, that's Wanda Lawson's niece, has aggressive breast cancer. So remember to keep her in your prayers at this time. Um, also, um, remember to continue to keep Barry Kelly's daughter, Casey, in your prayers. She's 35 years old, and uh, she's dealing with cancer, and the results aren't looking good right now. So remember to continue to keep Casey in your prayers and the Kelly family. Lou and Agner will have surgery Tuesday morning. Um, I will have surgery Tuesday morning as well. Um, and we're both at the same hospital, so maybe we can room together. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, Jeff Lyons, um, update on him. Uh, he passed away last week. I know a lot of our church members know uh, the Lyons family and know Jeff. Just remember to continue to keep the Lyons family in your prayers at this time. Also, uh, Merrin, continue to keep Roger Pryor in your prayers. He has stage three kidney failure. Um, keep him in your prayers. Trey Davis has a trial this Friday, so keep uh, Trey in your prayers and that family uh, in your prayers during this difficult time. Also, Sarah Smithers, that's Tony Blake's sister, is having knee problems and has asked for prayers. Um, also, Merrin, continue to keep uh, Jerry and Nora's granddaughter in your prayers, Caroline Divinity. Um, and that's all the announcements I have and updates on prayers, but there's so many others. Jennifer Baker, Jim Haney, Darren Baker, Terry Haynes, and Charlie Boso. Just remember to continue to keep those, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in your daily prayers at this time as well. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 1 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 780. Won't it be wonderful there? We'll sing the first two verses. And then Brother Greg Sullivan will have our prayer. When with the Savior we enter the glory land, all may be wonderful there. Into the trials and cares of the story land, all may be wonderful there. Won't it be wonderful Oh, right.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you just thanking you for this another opportunity, Father, that we can come here and worship you. Just pray that everything that was done here this morning was pleasing in your sight. Father, we're mindful of the ones that couldn't be here, um, whether it be sickness or for whatever reason, Father. Father, I just ask you to bless them. Father, we're mindful of the ones that have upcoming surgeries and treatments. Father, just pray that you're with those individuals and that, Father, you can return them to a normal portion of health. Father, just ask you be with us um, as we go to the old auditorium to eat. Father, we ask for a special blessing on the food and the, and the hands that prepared it, Father. Just ask you be with us as we go throughout our day and forgive us of the sins that we've committed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say that. 